If you want to follow along this morning, you can go to rmfchurch.org, click on media, and then notes. You will see today's titled Wishful Thinking. Wishful Thinking. Um, let's pray. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you for our eyes being open this morning. We even thank you that, Lord, we believe for not only minds to be touched, but bodies to be touched in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I had a really awesome week. It was a little bit different. I, I got to see Fred up at Karis. I, I taught uh, a course up at Karis this week for eight hours of teaching. So um, I taught eight hours this week up at Karis, and it was a tremendous honor and a blessing. And uh, the neat thing about Bible school students, man, they are easy to speak to. You can say, Oh, man, isn't Jesus wonderful? And all, everybody starts shouting, amen, hallelujah, and you go, all right, this, this is good. This is just my introduction, you know. But um, it was a lot of fun. Our scripture for the year is Romans fifteen thirteen. The Passion Translation says it this way. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And by the way, I am good at charades. I don't know what she was talking about. It may be her interpretation. I'm just saying. Pictionary, all of them. We're good, aren't we? The men won. Anyway, um, Where am I? Um, I did. I went off the rails, not off track. We're going to be talking today about taking small steps because I know that the majority of people, you think little things are so insignificant. Even when Jesus started preaching the gospel in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm sure the people just thought, are you kidding me? This, this is the kingdom? This is the beginning of the kingdom? Really? And uh, I like that uh, phrase. I said it a couple of weeks ago when Neil Armstrong took a step on the moon. He said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It just takes a small step to get you to your destination. It really does. Mark chapter 4, verse 30, it says it this way. It says, he told them this parable. How can I describe God's kingdom realm? Let me illustrate it with this parable. It's like the mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds. Yet when it springs up and grows, it becomes the largest plant in the garden. With so many enormous spreading branches, even birds can rest in its shade. So really, people at that particular time when Jesus said that, you know, when word got out that he was Messiah, they thought, I'm sure that, wow. This week or this month, the whole world is going to be just transformed. Things are going to happen. And I mean, you know, it didn't happen like that. It was just little by little, him teaching the gospel, teaching the good news. But the Romans were still in power. The Jewish people were still submitted to the Roman government. And it, wasn't, it didn't seem like a lot was happening. But after 2,000 years of the kingdom... Being planted, you know, the Bible says unless a seed is buried and planted, it's not going to produce and multiply. When Jesus was planted in this earth, oh, hallelujah. 
For 2,000 years, the kingdom has multiplied. It has multiplied. You know, and there's so much, you know, negativity going on, but there's a lot of good things. I know this past week, uh, I think it was this past week, uh, children are now allowed to pray in schools. Did y'all hear that? You know, I, I think it was, I don't remember when it was, I think the late 60s, uh, when it was prayer was not allowed in schools, but now it is. And, uh, I mean, there's good things happening. There really is. And you can get uh, tunnel vision to the negative, but there's a lot of great things. But I believe Jesus was basically saying this when he started preaching the gospel. He says, don't worry about This is a small beginning, but remember that your God is who he said he is, and he's going to bring to pass the promises. He is. So in Matthew 17, 20, the Passion Translation says it this way. It says, he told them, it was because of your lack of faith, I promise you. If you have faith inside of you, no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move away. Move away from here and go over there, and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do. And uh, I've said this before, but uh, it's easy to fall into the trap to think that you don't have enough faith. You don't have an or, man, I mean, and I've even, I didn't realize, but I would have this voice, and I realized it was the enemy saying in the back of my mind, you almost have enough faith. You almost are there. And I thought, ooh, I am. But you're not there, so you, you're not going to be able to receive. And Jesus was saying the smallest of seed, the mustard seed, is all of the faith that you need to speak to a mountain, not to cancer, not to a cold, not to arthritis, but to a mountain, to Pike's Peak. I don't know about you, but that seems like, to move Pike's Peak was a little bit tougher than getting over cancer. That's my perception. I don't know if it's yours. But the thing is this. You do not have a lack of faith today. Thank you for all of those Bible school thunderous roar. They would have just rolled over the floor and jumped up and down and everything. So let me say it one more time. You have enough faith today. Help me, Jesus. Small steps. Many of you think your life may be so insignificant. You may think that what you do is so insignificant. But I'm here to tell you what you do matters to God, and it matters to a lot of people. And I just want to encourage you today that small beginnings are awesome. And you can't look at just something so small and so insignificant and think, well, it really doesn't matter that much. Apple is one of the most valuable brands today. Where's Tiffany and Sarah, my, my anti-Apple people? <laughs> Who helped me. Can you believe that? It's working fine now. Thank you very much. I'm going to continue here. It's one of the most valuable brands today. So it's often surprising when people learn that Apple's first computers were built in a small garage in California. Amazon, four years after being named the youngest vice president of a successful Wall Street investment firm, Jeff Bezos quit his job 
moved to Seattle to pursue what he believed to be an untapped online retailing opportunities in the book industry. He set up shop in his garage in Bellevue, Washington, and began developing software, which is now Amazon. He's one of the top five wealthiest people on the planet. Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin met at Stanford in the mid-1990s and decided to want to start a company together. Two years later, they, their partners established Google's headquarters uh, in a garage, a 2,000-square-foot garage for $1,700 a month and started Google from that garage. Hewlett and Packard, the same way, they started off in a garage, a 12 by 18-foot garage. Shutterstock, John Aringa, Aringer, I believe that's how you say his name, was a professional software developer and an amateur, amateur photographer. He combined this set of skills and used 30,000 photos from his personal photo library to start a stock photo service that is currently worth $2 billion. That's just from taking pictures. He wasn't even a professional. He's just a picture taker. And now he sells those. Matter of fact, our church is a member of this, that we use his pictures. We do a monthly fee every month. So we're part of that $2 billion that he gets. GoFundMe. This was an amazing one. Have you heard of GoFundMe? When people want to, to collect money or whatever? I didn't know this company made money by getting people to give to other people or organizations. It was um, this guy started this. He says the founders of GoFundMe were able to use, uh, I won't go too much into detail, to start this business. And basically, uh, the value of this company today, are you ready, is worth $600 billion. They got funded, all right. 600B with a billion as a B, billion. That's how much GoFundMe that organization is worth today. Craigslist. How many been on Craigslist? Craigslist early launched in the first dot-com boom in a durable long-term advantage. Despite having only 40 employees and not substantially updating the site for decades... Craigslist is the 17th most visited site in the United States today, and it generates hundreds of millions of dollars of profit every year. Walt Disney, Microsoft, Mattel, the toy industry, all of these companies started so small, so insignificant. But I wonder if they thought when they started, like, well, this isn't going to mean much. This isn't going anywhere. They wouldn't be where they're at today. My point is, you may think that I'm not going to affect the whole nation, the whole world, or the United States. I may not even affect the state of Colorado. I may not even, you know, affect all of Pueblo. You may be thinking things like this. But this is the thing. Take small steps. You're going to probably impact your family. You're going to impact maybe the people you work with. You may even impact some strangers that you meet at the grocery store or at the gas station. Don't take these small, insignificant, small steps and think it really doesn't mean that much. If you impact somebody and 
and uh, cause people's life to take on a, a different perspective, it's going to mean a lot. That's why I believe our church, you know. The Bible said there was 120 gathered in the upper room. Just 120. And the Bible says that 120 changed everything. It changed the religious world and put it on its head and say, and told them that it's not a religious system. It's a relationship of our Father God to his people. And they started off that way. And within a few days, 3,000 people came to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church literally exploded. Literally exploded. Small things. This is a familiar story, but I love it. In 2 Kings, it's about the widow woman. Widow woman. I say that joke every time. And I think it's funny every single time. So anyway, she's a little widow widow woman. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. So there was a relationship between Elisha and her husband. It says, And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. Back in that day, the culture was that if you couldn't pay your bills, they would come and grab your kids and make them slaves to pay off the bill. And so they were literally slaves. Aren't you thankful that doesn't happen today? You don't make a car payment, and you're missing a kid the next morning. Anyway, some of you probably wouldn't make a car payment. But anyway, verse 2. Just kidding. A little bit. Anyway, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. In other words, you know, I really don't have anything. It's really insignificant. But if you really want to know all that I have, it's just a small jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not just gather a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her, her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your sons live off the rest. This is a real significant small part of the story that you can overlook. Not only was it enough oil to pay their debt, it was enough for her and her sons to live off of. Took care of her maybe for the rest of her life. Something so insignificant. What if she looked at that oil and looked at, you know, hundreds of bottles and go, are you kidding me? What? But I don't believe she did that. I believe she filled up one bottle at a time, believing that that oil was going to fill up that bottle. I don't think she looked at 100 bottles and go, oh, Jesus, help me. No, I believe she looked at one bottle and go, you know what? This will fill up that one bottle. Something very small, something very insignificant. She filled up that one bottle, put it aside, and as she put it aside, she looked at that bottle. It was still full. She got another bottle, filled up that one bottle, put it aside. It's still full. One by one by one. One little bottle into where there's already 
hundreds of bottles now filled. And you think, well, that's just crazy. That's just crazy. It's crazy enough that that's what you and I need to believe. You need to believe your small steps can get you to your destination. You know, I I said this this morning. I can walk from here to Tulsa. Don't want to, but I could. And how could, all it would take is just one step and I'm on my way. Just start going east. For those who need a GPS, it's away from the mountains. But uh, (laughs) if you're walking to the mountains, it's going to be a lot longer walk and a swimsuit. But anyway, uh, it's just one small step to get there. And after you take 5,280 steps, you're a mile away from Pueblo. Well, you're still in Pueblo, but you're a mile away from your start point. And it just takes stepping one at a time. So if, if you see something big, like a major debt or uh, maybe a, a terrible relationship with your spouse or your kids have just gone off the deep end and you just think, oh, I just want this to be back normal, just take a small step. I know somebody who was sick and, and the doctor said they were going to die, and so they told him and said, listen, can you believe within the next 24 hours you won't be any worse off? which that was a big thing because this person was getting sicker every day, every day, every day until the doctor says you're going to die. So that person said, yeah, I believe I can believe that I won't be worse. I'll be the same. So the minister came back the next day. He says, so what's going on? He says, I feel the same as yesterday. All right. Do you think tomorrow, within the next 24 hours, you can be just a little bit better? Maybe not be as much in pain? You think just a little bit? Yeah, I think I can do that. So he did that day after day after day. He took those small, insignificant steps. Within a few days, I think it was like two or three weeks, the minister came back, and the bed was empty, and he said, what's up? Oh, they released him. He went home. He went from the doctor saying he's going to die till he went home. I'm telling you, just small, what it, it appears to you and me to be insignificant steps. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 19, this is a story where the children of Israel, they wanted a king. God said, I, I'm your king. They said, no, we want a, a king because, listen, the culture of that time... Around the world, their known world was everybody had a king. Israel did not. And God says, listen, a king's not going to be what you want. They said, yes, it is. That's what we want. God said, okay, I'll give you a king. So the the look was on to find out who was going to be king. And so Samuel was looking for a man, and God told him it was Saul. Saul his was... uh, His dad lost four donkeys or lost some donkeys, and so he was out looking for them. Samuel came up to him in 1 Samuel 9, 19. I'm a seer, Samuel replied, or a prophet. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I'm here to tell you, listen to this. I'm here to tell you, Saul, that you... And your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. What? Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm just looking. I'm the donkey hunter, okay? 
I'm just my daddy's boy, and I'm looking for donkeys. And Samuel turns to him and says, listen, all of the focus of Israel hopes are on you today. He sat there and goes, Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? He's saying there's the 12 tribes of Israel. We are the tiniest, most insignificant tribe of those 12. And in this insignificant tribe, my family is the most insignificant and smallest family in that tribe. And then even in my family, I mean, I'm just a weed hopper, man. I mean, I'm so nothing. You know what I mean? Samuel turns to him and says, you think you're small, you think you're insignificant, but all of Israel's hopes are on you today. Don't look at something at yourself or what you do and think it's insignificant. The Bible says this, as a man thinketh, so is he. So you don't think of yourself as insignificant. I don't care what you do. Well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I don't do anything. Holy cow. I wonder if Mary thought that way. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm, I'm so insignificant. Yeah, and you're raising the Messiah. No big deal. No pressure on that one, huh? <laughs> oh. There's so many stories in the Bible I was looking at this past week and just thinking so many things that seem small. When it was a drought over three years in, uh, in the land of Israel, Elijah was praying. He said, okay, it's going to be time for it to rain. So he prayed seven times, six times. He kept going out, kept going out, kept going out. And he told his servant, he says, is there any clouds? No. Is there any clouds? No. Six times it went out, no clouds. The seventh time he came back, he says, all right, there is a cloud, but it's the size of a man's hand. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be ready to flip over if I was the servant going. He probably came back and go, all right, there's no clouds, but well, wait, there's one the size of of a man's hand. Now, I don't know if that's physically or he held his hand up and it was the size of his hand in the sky, which means it would be that big. So anyway, the prophet said, get out of here. Go tell the king to run back to, to the capital because I tell you what, it's about to rain. Really? One cloud the size of a man's hand? That's crazy. Something so small, so insignificant, but yet that prophet said, this is what's going to happen. Um, ran out of time just like I did the first service. But anyway, um, I need to tell somebody this. I woke up early this morning to pray, and there's somebody that is facing a temptation that you believe that it's overwhelming to you and um, that it's just bigger than you, bigger than life. This is what the Lord wants you to know, that temptation is insignificant when it comes to God. You quit looking at it as if you have to overcome Listen to me. You need to quit looking at temptation as if you have to overcome it. You need to look at it as if God is well able to overcome that. And I'm going to let him do that for me. Are you hearing me? There is this story in this book. It says, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That's the title of the book. It's by John... Ortberg, I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, this story really touched my heart, and so I wanted you all to hear this. 
One day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, Ask what you will in my name, and you will receive it. Is that really true, Bob demanded? Doug explained, Well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, Bob said. Then I got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. That's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to just one country, Doug advised. All right, I'm going to pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya, Doug asked? No. Ever been to Kenya? No. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And if Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. Bob began to pray. And for a long time, it seemed like nothing was happening. Then one night, he was at a dinner in Washington. The people around the table explained what they did for a living. One woman said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest orphanage in the nation. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not help to keep quiet. Bob started to roar to life. He had said much, he had not said much up to this point, and now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob. Overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions, have you been to Kenya? No. You know someone in Kenya? No. Then how do you happen to be so curious about my nation? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray. She asked Bob if he would like to come and visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. Bob arrived in Kenya. He was appalled at the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write to large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast need he had seen. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to the place, uh, this orphanage in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. This, this orphanage received more than $1 million worth of medical supplies that year. The woman called Bob and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. We would like to fly you back over here and have a big party of celebration. Will you come? Bob flew back to Kenya, and while he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country, and he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw this large prison, and they got out and looked around, and Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. 
They're political prisoners, the president told him. Bob said, well, that's a bad idea. You should let them go. Bob finished the tour, and he went back, he went back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let them go. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomacy channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now, the prisoners have been released. The State Department was told it had been largely because of Bob. So the, Bob, the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and ask for, uh, he was going to be selecting new cabinet members. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who is not politically connected at all, he boarded a plane once more and flew back to Kenya where he prayed and asked God to give wisdom for the leader of that nation as he selected his government. All this happened because a man decided to get out of the boat. I'm looking at you guys today. Very important people to the kingdom. And just say, are you willing to get out of the boat? If we're ever going to walk on water, you can talk about it all your life. But until you get out of the boat, you're not going to get your feet wet. I would like for us to take this challenge, not from a legalistic standpoint, but I'd like us to pray for six months for our city and our church. That would be till today's January 19th till July 19th. Can you mark that on the calendar? July 19th. That's six months. Let's pray every day for our city and for our church. Say, well, I don't really know what to pray about. Just come to what's your mind. How about some just common sense things? How many think we ought to have better jobs in Pueblo? Let's pray for that. I believe that we ought to have a city that looks good and attractive to people. Let's pray for that. I believe we ought to have schools that are, are extraordinary and educational and safe. Let's pray for that. Our colleges to be uh, safe and, and teaching some awesome things and principles that would change our, our young people. Pray for that. Pray for the economic situation. Pray for our government. Pray for the mayor. Pray for anything and everything. Pray for our church that we would have uh, the, the right leaders in place and, and the right people in place. And pray for the finances to come in. Pray for us to have an impact impact in our town. It may just seem like a small drop of pebble in the water, but those will create waves all around our city. There's great churches in our town, and I'm thankful for every one of them. I don't think we're the only church, but I just want to make sure our church is doing its small step, even that it may be so insignificant, but that we're going to change things. 
for those three things to come to pass that are on that wall, it's going to take some people taking some small steps. Let's take those small steps. But listen to me. Do not let this be a legalistic thing. And I can tell you if this is, it'll become legalistic if this is your mentality. You start praying this week, and man, you hit it every day. And then a week and a half from day, you go through the day, and two days go by, and you don't pray. You go, oh, man, I didn't pray. God's not up in heaven with a clipboard going, oh, you missed today. Sorry. Done. Too bad. That means it was illegalistic and you got the wrong attitude. Now, me, this is what I'm going to do because I, I get busy in life just like everybody else. And so I've set on my phone, my Apple phone, that uh, it will alarm every, every morning. And it will alarm because it's better than most. But it will alarm. You cannot get ahead of me. That's I'm just saying. But uh, it will alarm every morning. So I'm going to pray for our church and I'm going to pray for our city. So you may want to do something like that. But don't get legalistic on me. Don't get legalistic on me. But I believe if we do this as a church, it took 120 people gathered in the upper room and it changed the world. It changed the world. We have about 150 to 170 people come to our church. Pray. This is one thing in the small step. I'm believing for 200 people to show up every Sunday morning. Can you pray with that with me? Agree with me? 200 people. 200 people every morning. I'm believing for still our building to be paid off. We owe about $190,000. i am believing we'll be able to give the Hagemeyers $50,000 to, to go towards the college. I'm believing for small things like that. That's a big thing. But you, we're believing for things. Believe with us. Believe that we will have creativity to get this message outside the four walls. Let's believe that. There's hurting people in our city. I believe we have the message to help people. People who have given up on God because they felt like maybe God is against them. They need to be helped. There's people that believe that they don't measure up because they sin and they mess up a lot. Man, I, I, that's the kind of people I want to come to our church. I want people who come and go, man, I'm just a screw up. I mess up all the time. And I feel like, you know, God is so far away. You sit in this pew for a year and I guarantee you, you will not think like that anymore. Unless you sleep every message. And even then, you might get something by osmosis. I'd rather you sleep in church and sleep at home. You, you have a greater chance of receiving something, even in your sleep. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. God loves me. God loves you. It's good to talk in your sleep if you're talking like that. But my point is this. I believe that people's lives are going to be changed. I can be like that guy who used to sell suits in Colorado Springs. I can guarantee you that your life will be changed. If you come to this church in the year, I can guarantee you that, but it's not my guarantee. It's the gospel. The gospel is what changes people's lives. It's the goodness of God that causes people to come to repentance or to change the way that they think. It's the goodness of God. The Bible says that causes people, his kindness, his goodness that causes people to think differently. So I believe that you're going to get a dose of goodness every single Sunday. I'll serve it up and you can eat as much of it as you want. And I believe it will change the way that you think. I believe it will change your life. Amen. Let's stand. Bethlehem. The Bible says in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it says, You, Bethlehem, 
the smallest of all the cities, the most significant of all the cities. Yet that was where the Messiah is going to come from. God is just in the habit of taking something small, insignificant. You know, let's face it. If you've been, I've been around this state, and how can I be nice about it? You go outside of Pueblo, and most people think Pueblo is the armpit of Colorado. And that's probably saying it nicely. But people don't think highly of our city. I'm not, I'm generally talking, generally. They think that, you know, and the reason is because when I go to Denver, I go to Denver quite a bit in Springs, and, and the people who don't know me go, oh, so where do you live? I live in Pueblo. And this is a response the majority of the time. Oh. You don't need a gift of interpretation to know what they mean. It's like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Oh, you, you live down there. It's like, you know, like one degree above hell or something. I don't know what. The, and there's hell and there's Pueblo. No. I said no. No, I proudly say I'm from Pueblo, Colorado, best city on the planet. I feel sorry for you if you don't live there. Amen. This is where God is making his name known in such an insignificant place, in such a small area. So many things that are striking up against it. And God says, that's my city. That's where I put my approval. Amen. Let's just start loving our town. Let's start speaking good things over our town. Let's pray for it for six months. Pray for our church. Amen. Let me pray for it. God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Reminding us the goodness of God, to let people know that we come in contact with. Help us to let people know that the goodness of God will cause people to think differently. They'll even start to think differently about our city. Lord, I believe that this this city will be literally lit up for the glory of God, the glory of God to be manifested in this town as like it's never been before in Jesus' name. And I'm thankful that our church will be part of that. We'll be part of it, Lord. We, we yield ourselves to you with our prayer, with our giving, with our, our very intentions on the inside of us to say and believe, choose to believe that this is a great place. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.